I've been thinking hard about the nature of truth. And it makes perfect sense that we, we, especially in the body of Christ, we need to have a good grasp today of what constitutes truth. Now, uh, we're going to put a slide up for the kids with the bingo pictures and all that and word games. But before we do, this is kids. I want you to please hear me. Kids. Kids. Listen carefully. Kids. Okay? What I'm about to say is important for all of us, including you young people. So listen carefully. Truth is truth. Truth is what is true. Now, you might say, well, that sounds kind of obvious, but, but bear with me. If you had a cookie and I ate your cookie and you said to me, did you eat my cookie? And I said to you, no. Would that be true? No. What would it be? It would be a lie. See, see even kids know this, right? Even kids know this. If I told you that the grass outside was purple and the ocean was orange, would that be true? No. Of course not. Because what is true is what is. What is true is what is real, not what someone says it is or thinks it is or wants it to be. Truth is the way things are. That makes sense, right? (laughs) Okay. While you're finding the pictures, kids, I want to ask another question of you adults. Is it possible for two things to be true at the same time? Of course it is. Yeah, sure. It, it's, it's as long as, like, I am both a husband and a father, right? I'm also a son. I'm also a brother. I'm also a cousin. I'm also a, a son-in-law, brother-in-law, etc. I'm also a pastor. All of those things are true. So it's possible for many different things to be true at the same time. But is it possible for two uh, things to be Excuse me, I'm, I'm going to back up. Is it possible for something, any, a particular thing, to be both true and not true in the same way and at the same time? No, it isn't. I know, I know, but, but bear with me. Bear with me, okay? It's possible, for instance, um, I can be both a father and a husband, right? But I can't be both a husband and not a husband at the same time in the same way. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Just making sure. So this, this is a scientific truth, and it is called the law of non-contradiction. Now, this is an actual scientific truth. I just want to point that out. This is an empirical scientific truth, not some of the things that passes as science today. Now, why is this important? If you have two people, okay, who have different views about the nature of reality... And the first view is consistent with the nature of reality, and the second view is not consistent with reality, then the first view is true, and the second view is false. Does that make sense? Because bizarrely, in our culture, truth is considered to be subjective, meaning it all has to do with the perspective of the person viewing it. But that, friends, is incorrect. Truth is, by nature, objective. Because reality cannot be affected by perception. You've heard it said that perception is reality, right? You've heard that said? Okay, I understand the saying. I understand what people are trying to say by that. But perception is not reality. Okay? So, let's just, here's an example. Let's imagine an accident occurs on the street, okay, and it gets seen by ten different witnesses. 
Now, they all may have uh, different ideas, different stories of what had happened, but it doesn't change what actually happened. The accident occurred in a certain way, and that is the truth. Okay? There is no my truth and your truth. There's only the truth. To be a little more specific, truth is what God says it is, not what people say it is. Even professors, even teachers, even parents, even scientists, even even preachers, we are all wrong sometimes, even when we try our best not to be. But God is never wrong. The book of Hebrews says it is impossible for God to what? Lie. It is impossible for God to lie. And the, the, the creator of everything, the Lord, has the right has the privilege, has the prerogative to be the purveyor of truth. What he says is true is truth. And this is why the church, and I don't mean just this church, I mean the church, needs to completely reject the false ideas that the world wants us to accept. Okay? Instead of trusting the whims of culture, we should trust the word of God. Okay? The, word, the Word tells us very different things from the world, right? The world says that there are 63 genders. The Scripture tells us that God created man and woman. The world says that same-sex marriage is legitimate in the eyes of God, but Jesus describes marriage in Matthew 19. Jesus describes marriage in Matthew 19 as a sacred bond between one man and one woman. The world teaches us critical race theory, but the Word says that God created people of every color in His image. And there's no distinction in the body of Christ. In each case, may God be true and every man a liar. So our baseline today for this, for this sermon, for this message, and for our lives is that truth exists and that it belongs to the Lord. And that is also the baseline that the Apostle Peter begins with in today's text. So, so let's go there to Acts chapter 4. Before we read, uh, let's pray. Father God, as always, please, Lord Jesus, make us good soil. Father, I thank you for each person here. There is no accident that each person that's here today is here. God, we all have something to learn. Father, I, I know sometimes you reveal things to me even while preaching, God. It's just, your, your spirit is so powerful. Your word is so powerful. It's not the messenger, Lord. It is the message. Just fill us with your spirit. Help us to see truth and to revel in it and celebrate it and and be joyful in it and at the same time relax in it because we've been given this beautiful truth and he has a name and it's Jesus Christ and it's in his name we pray, amen. All right, so remember, this is immediately after God healed the lame man through Peter and John, right? And Peter, Peter has just preached the gospel to the crowd and he's explained their need to repent and to be saved. Now, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus, proclaiming, excuse me, in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. You remember the, the Sadducees were the, it's the old thing, they're sad, you see, because they didn't believe in eternal life, right? They didn't believe in life after death. And so they were, they were clearly, that was not something that they were happy to hear being taught. And they arrested the apostles and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with 
Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they, that's, that's the, that's the uh, Sanhedrin, when they had set them, the apostles, in their midst, the Sanhedrin inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Okay, now there's a whole lot, a whole lot that we can learn about the nature of truth. But this is readily apparent. For people who refuse to believe it, truth is enraging. Anybody noticed lately just how quickly you'll get shut down if you speak unpopular truth in a public forum? Anybody in Facebook jail right now? (laughs) My brother-in-law got banned temporarily from Facebook for posting a meme that showed that Adolf Hitler was Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1938, and then just, you know, hinting, suggesting that maybe we shouldn't trust mainstream media when it comes to knowing which end is up, right? He was banned for that. Guess what? The thing is, Adolf Hitler was Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1938. And on top of that, the mainstream media as an institution we know is morally backwards. We know this. But facts don't always change the heart and mind of a person who is convinced by a lie. So what does Luke say here? The religious leaders who came and arrested Peter and John were greatly annoyed. I, I think that's an interesting phrase. That's, it, it, greatly annoyed um, by, by what they were doing. Because you see, truth offends those in darkness. Does anybody have a double light switch on the wall of your bedroom? One for the light and one for the ceiling fan? Most, okay, most of us. Those two little switchers are separated by mere inches. <laughs> but their functions are miles apart. Especially if it's late at night and your wife is already in bed and you're feeling kind of warm, you know, so you get up to turn on the ceiling fan <laughs> and instead you end up blinding everyone, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, anyway, sorry. <laughs> you turn into Dracula. See, no. Those, those in darkness don't appreciate the light. At least not initially. In John 3, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, this is very soon after making that incredible statement about for God so loved the world, he says this, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Hmm. It's a harsh truth, no? People loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Why? Because their works were evil. People in darkness are are always trying to to keep the light from shining on them so that their deeds won't be exposed. Their wickedness won't be revealed. Remember, remember one of the key characteristics of wickedness is that it tries to pass itself off as goodness. Right? Wickedness takes what God created that's good and and flips it upside down and backwards, right? And then says that, that those things are morally right when they're the opposite of what God created for good. What does God's word say about this? It's not in your notes, but I, I just want to recommend that you, you write this down somewhere on your bulletin insert or in the margin. Just write Isaiah 5.20. God says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, and put light for darkness, and darkness for light, and put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. That is exactly what the world tries to do, and and in doing so, in doing so, it is pressing further and further into God's wrath and condemnation against sin. 
The last verse of, of Romans 1 shows us that the final level of that downward spiral, you know when your society is circling the drain, that downward spiral of depravity is to not only practice wickedness, but to heartily approve of others who do. Church, look at the news. That's where we are. That's where we are. The month of June is Pride Month. And left and right, you've got corporations bowing to the idol of the gay pride movement. You know, my, my lovely bride and I, yesterday, we went for a walk at Stonebridge Mall while we were in between our, our sessions. And there, I saw one sign about Father's Day. But almost every window was festooned with some sort of pride symbol. I should, maybe not every window, but it was, it was everywhere. Which, which, by the way, you know, the, the, the shirt, there was a lady wearing a shirt that had a rainbow on it, and it said, this doesn't mean what you think. And below that, it said Genesis 3, and I was like, or Genesis, whatever, Genesis 11, I was like, I love your shirt! She was like, thank you. Um, but see, you know, the, the pride movement takes God's own symbol of his promise and twists it to symbolize homosexual sin. Guys, that's just one example, okay? I'm not, I'm not picking on homosexual sin to the exclusion of other sin because, uh, you know, we are clearly a sinful society. There's sin in the church. Each one of us has sin in our own lives that we're trying to overcome. Hopefully, that's what we ought to be doing. But guys, homosexual sin is at the forefront right now because society is tripping over themselves in the race to embrace it most. But frankly, being sexually involved outside of God-ordained marriage covenant is a sin for anybody. And yet it's commonplace. And it's celebrated. Even, even killing one's unborn child is glorified. Did you know there are, there are websites, there are t-shirts that you can buy to advertise the fact that you murdered a growing human being in your womb? Did you know that? I had an abortion. I didn't have an abortion. <laughs> but but that, that is being celebrated. That's the one place a baby should be the safest, you know? We need ch church. We need truth to come in and clean up some of this mess. We need truth. Because truth challenges false beliefs and eventually it will expose them. Truth, truth is what says the emperor has no clothes. Jesus spoke and lived truth. And it drove the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law crazy because he proved them wrong at every turn. Their, their legalism and their shallowness and their hypocrisy became ever more evident as Jesus continued to speak. And there's a saying I've heard recently, it really hits home with me. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. But if we care, listen, listen, if we care about those people made in the image of God who are deceived onto the path of hell, then we will risk upsetting them. False beliefs when they endanger one's soul, need to be challenged so that they can be exposed as false. But again, it offends those who live in darkness because it reveals the truth about their situation. And most people, most people don't like to hear that they're wrong, do they? 
You know, Mark Twain was credited as saying it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. I don't know if that clicked. I'm going to say that again. It's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. In my opinion, that's why more supporters of the BLM movement haven't walked away from it now that we know that their founder was spending millions of donated dollars buying real estate for herself. People hate to admit they've been duped. (laughs) Folks, we need a true north. We need a true north, and without one, we become directionless. I heard a a sermon recently where the pastor used the example, uh, I think it was from Plato's Republic, where the sailors, they couldn't see the stars anymore, and so they just decided, we're going to take a lantern and hang it on the bow of the ship, and we'll let that be our guide. (laughs) How well do you think that worked? That's foolishness. And yet it's where our society is. We have our lantern on the bow of the ship. We follow our whims rather than looking for the true north, which is God's word. Anyway, so so the apostles are preaching about Jesus and the rulers were greatly annoyed with them because Jesus challenged and exposed all of these lies that they were living by. And that's probably the the biggest motivating factor, really, of what, what upset their apple cart here. Because another thing the truth does is it endangers ungodly power. Hmm. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Truth endangers ungodly power, doesn't it? I hope you believe this. It does. That's why they fear it. Notice it wasn't just that Peter and John were preaching about Jesus. Verse 2 specifies that they were greatly annoyed that the apostles were teaching the people. Why? that's our job. That's our job to teach people. How dare they? Right? I mean, why would that bother the Sadducees? Because teaching the law, or or rather their version of the law, was how they maintained their authority over the people. Remember how John's gospel says Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? You remember that? Do you remember that? Okay, good. (laughs) Hope so. He did that right there where the Pharisees could witness it. You remember? And he even preaches out loud. He's like... He, he says, Father, I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying, basically, I'm saying this out loud so everybody else can hear me too. Then he raises Lazarus to dead, from, from the dead, and instead of repenting and following Jesus, the, the bad guys that were standing around watching all this, they decided they had to kill Jesus and kill Lazarus. Do you remember that? Because it was that important to them that they had to keep the story quiet. And later, as, as, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem to the adulation of all the people, you have the, the Pharisees saying, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will, will come and, and take away both our place and our nation. See, that's the key right there, right? Real truth takes away power from those who think they get to decide what truth is. And y'all, this is where society is heading. The church used to be a pillar of the community, but now, now that the powers that be are, are just truly morally bankrupt, the church is being perceived accurately, by the way, as a threat to society's elites. Why? Because the true church won't bow to the idols and the lies. The true church knows better. 
Did you know there's actually a movement right now to make homeschooling illegal? Right? Judah started it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we homeschooled him for four years. And if you wonder why that young man is, is as awesome as he is, it has nothing to do with the fact that we homeschooled him for four years. Anyway, so it, it, it's a tough, hey, for those of you guys at homeschool, God bless you. It's, it's not easy for anybody. But anyway, um, they hate that. They hate homeschooling because it is a threat to the monopoly that the education system has on the moral aptitude of the nation. Now, there are some wonderful teachers. There are some great teachers out there who love Jesus. There are some teachers out there who, they may not even know Christ yet, but they try to teach children good morals and values. You know, I know this. I'm aware of this. But as a whole, the education system is being taken over right now. And the, the, the values of socialism and relativism and, and intolerant tolerance, it, those things won't be taught by godly families. And so there are people trying to make it illegal to teach your own children. And that is terrifying. But it's not shocking, is it? Because to the wicked, truth is enraging. But to those in whom God is working to incline their hearts toward him, truth is engaging. It's engaging. Truth with a capital T is appealing to people who want to really know it, even if it doesn't fit into our preconceived notions. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is a serious question, okay? You may not remember this. Some of you were here on Wednesday night. A while back on Wednesday night, we had a would you rather question, and it was, would you rather know the truth even if it hurts or be told a comforting lie, but you don't know it's a lie? I want you to ask yourself that question. Would you rather be told the truth, even if it hurts, or be told a comforting lie without knowing it's a lie. Because I think that nearly everyone thinks they're in the first camp, but most of the world is actually in the second camp. Most people will choose a comfy truth, excuse me, a comfy lie over a painful truth. But for those who are seeking, and that's, that's because God is, is wiring people this way. Because for those who are seeking, truth is engaging. And when it's presented, it gains attention. Okay? Remember, in this case, the truth was, was accompanied by a miracle, which obviously gains attention on its own. Right? The, the lame man is no longer lame. But truth also gains attention because it goes so often against establishment thought. I mean, at least it should get attention. It's interesting how hard people in mainstream science, for instance... We'll try to silence the voices of, of, say, those climatologists who disagree with them on climate change. And it's interesting how many universities will vilify the archaeobiologists who disagree with the theory of evolution. I mean, it fits right into Romans 1, again, where Paul says that the wicked suppress the truth with their wickedness. But when it's not being actively suppressed... Truth gets attention. I think Griad, you know, I think the Lord Himself created it that way. Um, for instance, Jesus said, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. Truth draws attention. Besides that, it wins converts. I mean, look at what happened in this instance. You know, Peter and John, they, they got arrested. But despite that, the number of believers grew to 5,000 men, and that, that's not including the women and children. That's a lot of people. This is a movement, folks. It was a movement. For, the, for those who were predisposed to follow in the footsteps of the father of lies, truth is offensive. But for those whose hearts 
have not been hardened. Those whose hearts God has been cultivating, truth is attractive. And it's recognized as truth. And when a person with a God-softened heart realizes their error in the face of truth, they reject their old way. They reject the old way of thinking and they undergo a change of mind, which is called what? Repentance. See where this is going? These, these people, who were, they were those who had repented of their sinful ways and patterns of thinking. And, and even as sincere as they might have been in those old ways, they had repented of those ways and they had turned to God. And notice also that the truth here has shifted the balance of power away from those who rule by lies because truth has great power in itself. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote that truth is like a lion. He says, you don't need to defend it. Just let it out of its cage. It'll defend itself. I think he's right. In this case, the truth produces the ability to walk in a man who had been forever disabled. He'd never been able to walk in his entire life until now. And, and then that truth turned many people in a large crowd away from sin and death and toward truth and life. That is power. That is power. And I think it has, it has to do as much with the nature of truth as it does with the fact of truth. But we're going to turn to that close to the end anyway. So, so let's recap. Peter and John heal this man. They preach the gospel. And then they get arrested by a bunch of you know, envious religious types who then you know, keep them overnight in jail. And then the next day they interrogate them. <clears throat> by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Pause there. That's important. Okay? That's important. Not full of himself. And just trying to, you know, to, to shut down the opposition in a debate. Filled with the Holy Spirit, who is God's purveyor of truth. He said to them, rulers of the people and elders. Notice he's being fairly respectful considering the circumstances. If we are being examined today concerning a deed, a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. You notice that little jab right there? You notice that? In other words, since you have us in jail for helping somebody, <laughs> right? And then comes another jab, Jesus, whom you crucified. And then comes the, the uppercut, you know? He says, Jesus is the Christ the Messiah who died for our sins. He doesn't say that here, but he says it elsewhere. And was raised from the dead and imparts life and healing to those who believe. Guys, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's your knockout punch. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And by, by the way, that is straight out of Old Testament prophecy. These guys knew the reference for certain because this is a messianic uh, a passage here. And so it, then, then comes the, the kicker. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Yo, that's bold. That's a bold claim, especially considering his audience. But someone might ask, what about the Jews who, who, who claim to be God's people but don't accept Jesus? What about the Muslims who believe Jesus was a prophet and a great man 
but not the second person of the Trinity who died on the cross and rose from the dead. What about atheists who who are generous, kind people and try to do no harm? Are you saying that they can't follow their path and come to God? Oh, oh, they'll come to God. No question. Right, Craig? Your your, uh, your communion meditation a while back, all roads definitely do lead to God, but only one road leads to salvation. The rest of them lead to judgment. Because, folks, truth is exclusive, and radically so. Radically so. Now, what does exclusive mean? An exclusive club would be, you know, one that only allows members or certain people in, and, and you know, and, and they'll use velvet ropes, right? They'll use big, you know, bouncers to make sure that they stay exclusive, right? Because exclusive means certain things are ruled in, other things are ruled out. In order, listen, in order for the church to remain standing on truth, we must dictate that certain ideas and influences cannot come in. They cannot be included. They cannot be made to be a part of the gospel. Truth is exclusive in that it precludes untruth. In other words, uh, as we discussed earlier, for one thing to be true, the opposite of that thing must not be true in the same way and at the same time. So, So truth precludes or casts out untruth. So when someone makes a statement like, that's your truth, but my truth is different from your truth, they are incorrect. There is only one truth, and then there is your perspective and their perspective. And if your perspectives on truth are diametrically opposed, then they cannot both be true in the same way and at the same time. Either both of you are wrong, or one of you is wrong. Truth casts out untruth. Truth is also exclusive in that it is fully, listen, it is fully manifest only in Jesus Christ only in Jesus. And by that, I am referring to the Jesus Christ who is named and described in the Scripture. The Word who was with God and was God and who became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus Christ who existed before time in eternity past and then entered history. You know, actually, historically, in real time. And, and then we, we know this through the virgin birth and He died on the cross for our sins and then He rose from the dead and now He lives on in eternity future. That Jesus who intercedes before the throne of the Father for us. That, Jesus Christ, is the truth. The truth is not fully manifest in any other version of Jesus. Only the biblical Jesus is true. Remember earlier when the question was asked, what about Orthodox Jews, Muslims, morally upright atheists? What about their perception of Jesus? Friends, if Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God, then He can't simultaneously not be those things as Judaism teaches. He died on the cross for our sins. And if that happened, He can't also not have died as Islam teaches. If Jesus rose from the dead, then all of His claims were true and any person who says otherwise is wrong. A faith that says that Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers in heaven, as the Mormon church teaches, is wrong. A faith that says that that Christ is not one with the Father, as the Jehovah's Witness church teaches, is wrong. And any faith, any faith that says there is any other way to heaven other than through the biblical Jesus is wrong. Christ himself said so. He said, I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me and then he proved it by rising from the dead 
It, it doesn't get any more clear than this. You know, to this world, to this world, that's probably the most frustrating claim of Christianity. I think for the most part, the world would be okay with Christians if we just said, but everybody else is saved too. It's okay. Guys, we've been given something great. We've been blessed beyond measure with this truth. No one, Jesus says, comes to the Father except through him. No one else gets us to heaven. And that is precisely what Peter is stating when he says there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. The world hates that. Because the world wants other options, but no other option exists, folks. Jesus is it. And because of that exclusivity, the truth divides. It breaks people up into camps, right? It can do no differently unless everyone believes the truth, but, but that's, that's not how it is. But this isn't surprising to God, not in the least. In fact, Jesus himself told his disciples, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And he goes on to express how, how even families are going to be broken up because there will be some members that have allegiance to him and others that will not. This is a sad truth. In many families, in some parts of the world, turning to the truth of the gospel of Jesus means taking your life in your hands. Really, it means putting it in God's hands. But you see what I'm saying here. In Iran and some other Islamic countries, a family might honor kill one of their members for becoming a Christian. You believe that? Because it's true. In Israel, Jewish families sometimes shun and actually have funerals for people in their families that become Christians. But, see, here, here's the encouraging news here. On top of the good news, Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase Jesus, okay? Anyone who leaves their family behind to follow him will gain a much greater family now and forever. Jesus says that. Because as exclusive as the truth is, it is also radically inclusive. It's inclusive. You know... Oddly enough, this was brought to my attention by a guy that I've known since fourth grade who, who wouldn't call himself a Christian, although I think he's getting closer all the time. I was talking with him about the radical exclusivity of the gospel, and he said, it's also radically inclusive. And I was like, you're right. Just thinking about it. I mean, just the message of Jesus is exclusive to those who will believe, but by the grace of God, it is inclusive for all who will believe. You know, in another place, Jesus expresses that he is the only way to salvation, not just in John 14, 6, but in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If who enters? If anyone enters through Jesus, he or she will be saved. There's no other door, but that door is wide open to those who would enter. And from our text today, Peter helps us to see three aspects of the inclusivity of the truth. Don't worry, this is going pretty fast. Okay, firstly, truth is knowable. Truth is knowable. Now, don't get me wrong here. We still have to accept that it's truth by faith. But truth can be known. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't have said, let it be known 
to all of you and to all the people of Israel before telling them about Jesus. You know, the, the, the old ploy of the agnostic is to claim that nothing about God can truly be known, but I think that they're wrong, okay? We, Romans 1, it tells us pretty clearly that everything that can be known about God, you know the scripture I'm talking about, right? Right? Okay, so this, this, we can know something is true even when we accept it on faith. And that seems contradictory, but it's not. We can know the floor is solid because we're standing on it. The evidence supports it, right? And barring Armageddon, if you jump up in the air, that floor is still going to be solid when you come back down, right? There are some things that we can know even though we have to take them on faith. Truth is knowable. It's not unknowable, particularly when it's revealed to us by the Lord himself, which, which leads to the fact that truth has been revealed to us. Okay? We have it right here in God's word. It's, it, it, it's right here. We have it. It's been revealed to us. Okay? And Peter includes an interesting phrase in that sentence. It starts with, there is salvation in no one else. He says, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we may be saved or must be saved. There's, there's no other power, no other authority, no other identity that can save us except for Jesus Christ. And this truth has been given to men. It's been given to us. It's knowable and it's revealed. We have it. Have you grabbed hold of it? You know, it's been spread by God's word. It's been spread by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's being spread by the faithful preaching of Scripture. And it has been and it is being revealed to the world. You know, God's truth is spreading like wildfire today in certain areas of the world where it's difficult to be a Christian. Praise God for this. You know, we learned yesterday at the, uh, is either yesterday or the day before, at the conference that Shannon and I went to, that we learned that, uh, that for every one person who converts to Christianity, I'm presumably in America, there are four who reject their faith. But it's flip-flopped in other places in the world. Interesting, huh? It's not all about us, is it? No, it's not. People here are so susceptible to lies. The church needs to be faithfully preaching the truth. So truth is noble, and it's been revealed to us. And, and while some people have experienced the division... Okay, that can be a result of turning to the truth at the same time. Listen, the truth unites. Truth unites because those who believe become a part of the body, a part of a living organism headed by Jesus Christ. And as we alluded to earlier, those who, who lose their, their worldly families, who lose their homes, we might include their status, their property, even their lives, they gain so much more by being a part of the body of Christ, which is the eternal family of God. Church, listen, we must, we must never compromise on the truth of the word of God in order to have unity with the world. Never. It's been said very concisely that the world is like the ocean and the church should be like a boat. The boat should be in the water, but the water should not be in the boat. Anyone who believes the gospel 
and as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is part of his body. And that unity is bigger than the secondary issues that we argue about sometimes. You know, Christian, look, we're not all going to agree on everything all the time. But we gotta, we got to agree on Jesus. We've we got to agree on Jesus. We've got to agree on the gospel. We have to agree about who Jesus is and what God has done through him. And then on what is our mission now as his body in the world, which is to make disciples, right? In the manner that he said, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to, to practice all of what I've, to obey all of that I have, have, have taught you, he says. That's our job. That's our mission. And we must obey. Because, friends, the mercy and grace of God is available through faith to those who repent and put their trust in Christ. And, and that grace is, is not only the basis for our unity with one another, but is also the basis of our unity with Christ. And so finally, remember this, church. Ultimately, truth is a person, and he reconciles us to God. Apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. Let's put a bow on this here. This is uh, Romans 5, 8 through 10. Paul writes, God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if... Think about the ramifications of this. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? That is the truth. 